Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What's good, Internet? It is April 28, 2017. We are coming to you live from Lobby One. This is Waypoint Radio. It's spring outside yeah. in New York City. I've they're, been here. They're drilling. They are. F- probably for more spring. They're like, oh, this is good. We've got to keep digging gotta for keep it. keep drilling for your spring. But I think they may have hit our internet because our internet dipped once earlier. Okay. So we we could drop again if you're watching us live on Twitch because they're, they're coming for us. They're coming for our internet. They don't want to hear. They don't want you to hear this pod. Yeah, this is like Waypoint Pirate Radio. Waypoint right Pirate Radio. Yeah. Welcome. WPPR. We should make pirate noises then. That was that was my like internet pirate P-P-R. noise. PPR. All right, uh, Rob Zachney's with us. Hey, what's up? Uh, I'm not <laughs> sure either. Of you guys know what pirate radio is, but I appreciate <laughs> the thought. That's the sound that internet pirates make. Patrick Klepek joining us. Also, I'm, t- I'm I'm here. I'm shielding my eyes. Good. Same always. Let's just do this. Oh, we, should have, we should have cosplayed as as our favorite near characters, Patrick. <laughs> we just put on the blindfolds. Uh, we have a near spoiler cast coming to you this weekend, uh, tomorrow. Our special guest, I'll say now, I think people figured it out, is Alex Navarro yeah. from Giant Bomb. And then uh, the the pun queen herself. I'm the pun queen myself, Danielle. Danielle Riendo Thanks. joining us on, on this beautiful spring day <laughs> where we're going to talk about video games. Yeah. We all played video games this week. Sometimes we get to Friday and it's like, what did you guys do? Oh, meetings. Everybody did meetings this <laughs> week. Meetings and edits. And edits. And, and like invoice processing. And then this week what we did instead was what if we played video games? Yeah, it was great. Patrick, what have you been up to? What have you been <laughs> it's video game week at, at Waypoint. <laughs> at Waypoint, yeah. We got a theme week coming. I'm going to run this up to sales real quick and see if they can do anything with this theme week. Yeah. Uh, hey, guys. We're, I think we're doing a week about uh, this little thing called video games. Interactive media. Could you guys go to like a, a candy company or a, somebody who makes hamburgers and sell that, yeah. maybe? Yeah, pretty much. Video games. Sick burn Play right there. Good. Patrick, what have you been playing? Well, I, I literally, just before we started this podcast this morning, um, I sat down and finished... Uh, was it what remains of Edith Finch? Is that the the title? I know Edith it, Finch. That's the full title, right? Is it what remains? What remains? What remained? I believe so. What remains? What, re- what, I remains, what remains? Yeah. I'm looking. I'm looking at Steam. What remains of Edith Finch? That is correct. no question mark. Just, just a sentence. This right. Is what remains? Right. I guess Not it can like be interpreted both ways. Sure. In my mind, when I was playing it, I was thinking it was called The Remains of Edith Finch, which is a different. <laughs> it's, it's a much a more more. Game, yeah. It's maybe. More yeah. more. Well. It's a fairly morbid game to begin with, although that yeah. title would imply uh, that that title would have still parts been everywhere. Yeah, to- totally <laughs> accurate. Yeah. So we talked about this game right after PAX East because I played it there at the, the Annapurna booth. Annapurna oh, is yeah. the publisher. It seems like they're publishing a bunch of cool stuff right now. Um, and so I gave the setup there, but I'll give a really brief one because I also played it this week. Uh, what Remains of Edith Finch is a game in which you are playing as a character named Edith who is returning to her childhood home, which is this strange 
kind of like magical, very like young adult magical realism styles, right? Like kind of like it feels like a Lemony Snicket's or a Dr. Seuss almost, like houses on top of houses spiraling up into the sky. Lemony Snicket is a good, I think, touchdown for that because Lemony Snicket has sort of a – not snarky, but like not. It's not even dark, but it's like you know, like Tim Burton light sort of. Yeah, tone. yeah, totally. And you're going there. It's the first time you've been back since you your family moved out after your brother died, and you know that in the first like five minutes. And you're there to kind of figure out the mystery of your family of the Finches. And you know, you go and you hit the pause button, and you see a family tree with all of these different characters, their names, right? Like, oh, here's Lewis, here's Sam, here's all of your your family members. Um, and the game is an anthology, basically, in which you explore the house and then find something in in throughout all the rooms of the house that communicate to you through an interactive experience what happened with the characters, who they were, and then how they died. That's like the very bare bones pitch. Yeah, there's like a fa- there's so a family like a- family curse, um, or yeah. the, it's pitched that way as like if you're a Finch, then you live until you die in a way that is <laughs> a little different yeah. than the, the process family. of most other people. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. you live until you die. You know what I'm saying? You like, live that's- until you die. So, so the big question I think that I have about this game is: so it's a story, huh? Well, so there's a story in this video game. There's a charged question this week. <laughs> I know. Danielle, what are you getting at? I'm getting at, does this relate in some way to the fiery piece that went up? Let's <laughs> <laughs> go a fiery piece that went up uh, from a certain... Uh, not a hot take. Not a hot take, a fiery piece. A fiery piece. piece. It's an alternative to a hot take. <laughs> and what if uh, Ian McGhost wrote about story and games and how he it often did. falls short? And then took a poop on young adult literature, which you also referenced in the Well, so. he he I didn't even mean to do that. That wasn't even an intentional connection oh, at I that time. I do re- the story also does just remind me of young adult fiction, like which is not a, a diss at Edith Finch. That's the thing. I think there's a big conversation that'd be had about story and games. Yeah. <laughs> which apparently. both you and Patrick wrote about. We did. But I almost want to like. I think let's start with this game, though. Let's start keep, with this game. Right. Let's 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 tease out more of this game. You know, I think if people, if you, you know, this game follows in the vein of of Gone Home. Um, you know, it's it's, yeah, you know, a walking simulator to you know use a uh, not even a pejorative at this point. Like it's been owned enough that it's just you kind of know what you're you're in for with yeah. one of these types of games. It's like light interactions. Although I'd argue yeah. this game goes out yeah. of its way to. Uh, you know, you're, you're essentially the way the, the game is set up is you're you it, it very cleverly is displaying um, dialogue in front of you. Like you have this book with you at all times that gives you a sense of the family tree, and then uh, there's this text in front of you that is contextualized in in the world. Like it's it'll it'll like the the dialogue will be alongside something that you should go investigate, or it's leading you towards uh, the path that's next. Or if there's right. wind in the area, like it will kind of float with the wind. Like the, the the game does some some interesting ways of trying to impose the storytelling on the environment in in a way that is sort of evolving something that was begun with games like on home right. and dear esther um and and furthermore like the actual sequences that you're going through like the way it, it, it often works is that uh you in, encounter um someone in the family trees uh like room or some sort of uh something that they own something that represents them um, right. there's some sort of letter or poem or, or something left behind that tells a story and in a lot of games if i was like to transplant this to gone home you would pick that up you would read the text and then you would move on. And so what um, uh, what, what Edith Finch does is tries to visualize and present the 
a lot of like what is present in a lot of these games, which are like di- you know diary entries, and visualizes right. them. It makes them uh, something you interact with on not a really like consequential level, but like just enough that you feel like you're you know like for instance, one has you transforming into an animal and like a cat that's like right. jumping through trees, or another one, one that where I, you're. I said that one a couple weeks ago. I don't want to like. That's really cool. I, there's definitely a thing here. It's like I don't want to spoil them. Right. But so if you want to hear about one, you can go back to the episode that was right after PAX East when I talked about what remains of Edith Finch because I give a, a pretty good rundown of the first one of those in the game. But one of the things that's interesting for me, Patrick, is often it's not just representing what the letter or whatever it is, right? Like you'll find a poem and the poem will be about a thing or you'll find, you'll find a letter and the letter will be about a thing or you'll find some legal documents. And what's represented is often like two steps removed. So you'll find a legal mm-hmm. document about an event and – the and a letter attached or whatever and then what you will see will not necessarily be the thing that's depicted in the event it will be the catalyst that leads to that letter um and even that event will then be seen through the lens of the imagination of one of the characters who's who's kind of like putting them putting them you know understanding the event in this way that that you don't always know if it's uh there's like multiple levels of of uh, an untrustworthy narrator right uh, where you're like okay is something really magical happening here or is this like materially the thing that happened when we talk about having a cursed family like what do we mean uh and i think it often is really surprising in in some really cool ways like a lot of these little mini vignette like interactive moments are um do really clever things with controls. Uh, Mike Diver wrote a piece about this game for us in which he basically says, like, this is a, one of those great examples of um, a game in which the mechanics help deliver the story uh, and that the the story would not be so so effective if it weren't for the, the level of interaction that you have with it, even though it's also an incredibly linear game. And, and it does really smart things with changing, you know, without getting to what it actually does, like – it changes like visual aesthetics and like radical yeah. ways and presentation in radical ways. Like the game is largely presented as a first person. You look around and you hit a you know a right button to interact with an object, but you know without getting to exactly how it changes things. Like there are like radical shifts in the way it presents different narratives that are like could only like. You could present it in in different mediums, and maybe this you know gives us a tangent to talk about yeah. um, some of the other stuff this week. But the nature of like you interacting with it like makes it imbues it with more meaning in a way that I really enjoyed. And also, like without expl- explicitly saying what it is, I did not expect to to play Edith Finch, a game that is like pretty somber and quirky, to have like one of the most iconic horror movie soundtracks of all time just yeah. suddenly show up. What is, not going to say not going to say anything. about it. But 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 what I just want to say segment? it's the level of surprise uh, that kind of surprise where it just yeah. the game takes a left turn yep. and 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 commits and it works um is present in all sorts of different ways in the game like it really commits to like okay if the base idea of these games is is your first person looking around, what else can we do with that? And and I think um, yeah. part of the fact that it's as short as it is uh, is a ver- it's like two is, hour game. Uh, really yeah, at most, depending we'll on how. It. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, but but it, it takes that uh, that you know movie length two hour burden and says, okay, let's do something a little bit more than what's done in the past. It really takes visual storytelling seriously and tries to be inventive with it in a way that some are more successful than others but taken as a whole all those vignettes i appreciated how striking and like different each of them were and how much they tried to take their that individual story 
and give it a, a, meta, a visual metaphor or a visual yeah. interpretation that ate it. Like if it was, if you just read it, it might still have been powerful, interesting, but it was a lot more powerful and interesting through the visual storytelling and aids. I am like so torn on this game because I think everything you're saying is. I think I, I think I agree with most of what you're saying here, which is that like it uses the mechanics of. of it uses uh, interaction, the sort of interaction that happens inside of games to great effect or to to, to clever effect. Mm-hmm. But I, I rarely felt punched. Mm-hmm. I rarely felt moved. There are moments. There are moments where, that I'm like, oh, this fucking blows. This is mm, – this one. In, there's one in particular yeah, that – there's that that's <laughs> – Like there's shitty. one. There's there, like – actually, yeah. I think it's a chain. I think there's a three-step thing. There's like – the relationship of a single character to two other characters yes. in his life and that, that chain – or three other characters in his life really that are – that is really strong and like and encapsulated and would have made – this morning uh, someone in chat, I think it was Joel in, in our Discord chat, was like, uh, what remains of Edith Finch sounds like a Netflix original drama. <laughs> and that like three-part chain would have been a great episode of a Netflix original drama about that one or a great like mini arc about about this character named Sam. Um, and the relationships that he has with other people. Uh, but I never, outside of one part of that chain or th- two parts of that chain, I never like left going like, oh, like I never had that moment that great, that great fiction often gives me, which is I need to go for a walk, right? Like I mm. need to go decompress or like, oh, this, this linked back around and grabbed something that it set up you know, an hour and a half ago and now I feel like it like it pulled this hook that it had in me and I didn't know it had placed that hook and now I'm hooked and like, whoa, I, I lose myself. Like, great fiction devastates me. Uh, even when it's beautiful and optimistic, it like changes a day for me. Yeah. Um, it changes a week for me. Like, I, I'll, I'll, everything about my my life like shifts when I hit a piece of incredible fiction. And so the thing that is is kind of killing me about what what remains with Edith Finch is I think it's an incredibly it's an incredible piece of craft work. I think it's an incredible piece of artwork. I think it's like well well done. But it never left me like that. And especially I think that it has a, a kind of a pacing issue in the final third, which I don't want to really get into, in which I thought there was not even more answers or something like that. I don't wanna again, don't want to get into specifics here. But that it didn't stick its landing in a way that the sort of material, the sort of artistic works that it um, kind of reflects or that it, it aspires to be in place with, the best versions of those things do stick their landings uh, in a way that, like, I, I would have come in here today, like, bubbling to talk about this game. Like, ah, I need to exp- – I can't talk about the ending, but I need to uh, – um, yeah. I just didn't have that here. And I think that, to me, ends up complicating – this entire debate this week around story in games. Sure. Uh, Patrick, you wrote a piece. I'm sorry to just keep going back and forth with Patrick, but like I want to get into this deeper story conversation. Yeah, so please. Can you set up the Ian Bogost piece and kind of the conversations that blew up around that? Yeah, he published a piece on on Monday in the Atlantic uh, with the. I mean, the. He- I mean, I'm not sure even how many people read the story as much as just yeah, saw the, right. <laughs> the, the headline, headline, as is the case with many things on the internet. Um, uh, but uh, you know the, the headline was that video games don't need stories, and and uses uh, what remains uh, of Edith Finch um, to essentially argue that uh, games are chasing you know a traditional Hollywood style form of storytelling that is uh, undercuts what games are are best at, or the forms of storytelling that games can be best at, um, and this set off a whole chain of. A lot of anxious uh, narrative game designers on Twitter. Yep. Um, it set off a whole chain of people who 
enjoy the types of games that uh, Ian was critiquing, like Edith Finch or Gone Home, um, uh, and that, uh, you know, this... The I think his piece is less uh, uh, harsh than, than the headline, yeah. um, but I would also imagine that uh, that Ian would stand by that because you know this is the same person who wrote yeah. uh, who's an academic. You know, also, he's an academic. Like his writing style is like purposely um, uh, purposely condescending. Is I think what it sounds to like the average person. Um, right. Like like when I I published a response piece and like when he retweeted it, it was basically a sort of like ste- I don't remember exactly what he wrote, but it was basically like an image of him steepling his fingers as if like oh yes I've I've pushed the world into discourse. <laughs> like I've made people talk about this thing. He he's always struck me as a bit of a gadfly and a bit of a like he's here to like bite your ass so that you respond. Yeah. And that it's can, a teaching style. Yeah, and it's not my favorite one. I don't know. Me either. I've yeah. uh, Ian Bogost. I would not be here if not for reading stuff that Ian wrote a, t- a decade Unit ago. Unit operations. Right. Unit operations specifically. Persuasive games also. Um, like I wrote this week and I did a video on Flower, Sun, and Rain. It was a Suda51 directed game um, and said that like that's the game that got me back into writing about video games after taking like a year and a half off. When I went to write about that game, where I went to try to understand it was Unit Operations, a book by Bogost that helped me find the, the grammar I needed to dig into games and understand them thematically and, like, in, in terms of what they're actually doing as games. So, like, lots of respect for that dude. Also, at the end of that piece, he argues, like, the only way for games to become the medium of a generation is for them to stop aspiring to include narrative. And, like, that's not the most productive argument you could make. Yeah, um, and, 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 you know, the uh, the argument I made in my piece was that even if that's true, right? If we like fast forward uh, 300 years from now, and vi- you know, video game narrative designers determine actually, yes, video games as a medium are fundamentally flawed in this sort of narrative storytelling. Like the argument I made was like, well, we don't have a choice here. Like video games are an, an increasingly and already are like a, a medium of choice, whether you want to define it as for a generation or, or whatever the case. It is a important medium in which. People love video games, people love stories, and people have shown that they love video games telling stories. And so video games don't have a choice but to approach that problem from different, uh, you know, vantage points, different perspectives, right. and to see where that takes them. And and that's why I like the, the, the quote from uh, uh, Charles Pratt that I have in my, my article. He's like, well, music and opera are both flawed ways to tell stories, but they're still <laughs> interesting mediums to tell stories. And I thought that right. like, that's a perfect analog. Is like lots of mediums may tell stories that would be better stories quote unquote stories, whatever that right. means, if like written down in a book or said in a poem. But if, you know, the the artists that exist that want to to create in that medium and the people that uh pref- you know prefer or enjoy that medium, they look for stories too. And so as a result of that, video games will and must tell stories. And then the the the, the you know the the responsibilities for video games to figure out how to do that. Totally. Rob, you're someone who plays lots of games that are about history and about historical narratives. Um, those are those are stories you've heard a billion times, whether they're true or false, or whether they're true or fiction. You've you've played games about the storming of of the beaches of Normandy on D Day, and also have read great historical accounts of that event and and of a billion other events. But also the thing that's interesting to me about the games that that you know you write about and talk about and and podcast about is that they don't have traditional stories. How did this argument strike you? Like they don't necessarily have the oh, and then there's this character who we follow through their events through the war necessarily. And 
Bogos strikes me as appealing to the sort of player like you who likes those sorts of games that aren't necessarily narrative focused. How did his argument strike you, and do you think there's any connection there? <sighs> so let me let me tackle like just uh, just how it struck me first, and, and sort of the motivations Please. that go into playing some of these like history simulators. I guess we could call them. Sure. There is like if your only understanding of history comes from uh, the the games people make about history, you're not going to have a very good understanding of history. Um, <laughs> like you're you're going to come away pretty convinced that like Confederates and Nazis were both like fucking awesome soldiers. Uh, and it's a damn shame that <laughs> damn shame that they got overwhelmed in the end. Uh, but yep. I think the other thing though is that. When you do come to it with the context of what it's sort of trying to model and and simulate, there is still something qualitatively different about the experience then of exploring the same space that you've read about. Uh, I can read really tremendous books on uh, the Battle of Gettysburg. Right? Right. But when I'm playing Scourge of War Gettysburg, which is this game that sort of tries to put you not in command of the whole army, but in command of, like, subunits within the army. You're not Robert E. Lee. You're, like, two rungs down from Robert E. Lee. And so you're playing the small corner of a much bigger battle. And and this has happened to me. There's this one moment in particular on the first day of Gettysburg. I'm playing this Union Brigade that arrives in the second wave to sort of resist the Confederates. And I'm doing really well. And I've really, like, cleared my sector. I'm kicking ass. And I turn around. I pan the camera to the left. And there's all these blue soldiers, like, just running like (laughs) hell. And then I turn the camera to the right. And there's no... But there was a Union... There was a Union army to my right there a second ago. And now they're just gone. And there's, like, Confederates coming down the road. That isn't an experience you're really going to get from reading a book, but it's a fundamental one to what it was like to sort of like command in those, to what it was like to be on those battlefields, right? Where there is not, uh, like to to, to unpack that a little bit, like for a commander at that time, you didn't have a total understanding of what was happening at the more zoomed out level of the war. You didn't know, you knew the units you were commanding. You Mm -hmm. didn't know what was happening a mile away. A mile is a far distance away and there's no radio communication. You knew what you saw. Let alone anything more advanced than that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like you, um, you could you could see and you could have dispatch writers come, but you're not going to get that from reading a book because a book you're still going to read about it and then you're going to see a map and the map is going to imprint this idea of the thing being readable and under control to its participants in a way that is right. completely false. But you you live through that in a game and suddenly the experience becomes comprehensible and relatable in a way right. that it wasn't before. And I think games that let us explore just about anything have that ability to that in the act of exploring something in the act of of living through some sort of facsimile of something it does offer us a different relationship that is valuable regardless of whether or not the story is told better or worse well so like that's the sort of argument you're making or the sort of uh, experience you just relayed is what i think the ghost is does want games to do right he does see those that sort of moment as leaning into the unique qualities of gameplay of uh, the kind of argument he, he puts together in this piece is that what games do is they take apart things and put them back together. Games are acts of reconfiguration. Like that's a, sure. that's not a, a new 
concept inside of the field of game studies is like, oh, what games do is that they reconfigure things. Everything's about configuration. Everything's from your interaction with a controller to like uh, leveling up in a class in in an RPG. Or taking systems out of the context of a wider totally. world so they're actually understandable. Totally. Yeah. Right. And so like um, I guess I want to make sure that to people who are listening who haven't read these pieces, we're not misrepresenting his position. He doesn't think that like people who tell emergent stories in games are bad or that like all games <laughs> should be should be like red and blue pieces on a board. You know right. what I mean? Like right. I, I think he does want there to be experiential he, he storytelling. Right, exactly. But yeah. doesn't want the sort of Edith Finch linear narratives right, beginning, that aspire, middle, and end that, that, that come yeah. out of a, a sort of aspiration to be like film or literature right. or something like that he and, and like even acknowledges the in the in the piece that Edith Finch is like a very like an excellent version of these types of games like he's like this is that's a really well ones. done version of this <laughs> <Yeah>. uh-huh. <laughs> I still, <laughs> he's like uh. I don't necessarily want this to exist but it's a good version of a thing I don't like <laughs> yep uh, yeah. and that's such a tricky thing and the thing with Edith Finch the thing that's difficult for me, especially like thinking about the last few weeks of conversations we've been having about Stellaris, about like we're doing the permadeath streams, which are all about bringing your own, finding your own narrative through systems like clashing against each other. It would have been so easy or better. It would have been so much better for me and like this position that I have, which is we didn't really get into what I wrote, which was basically like very similar to the Charles Pratt thing, which is like, no, people are going to tell stories. Sorry, bud. People are going to tell stories. That's the reality of it. The reality of it is people tell stories. There's not – we don't – people are going to tell stories. They're going to do it. Do, yeah, those teens are going to have sex. They're going to have sex. Teens we might as well should give them the equipment and the right. tools to do it we right. pretend there's a world in which teens aren't going to have sex and then talk about it. Right. Those are the two things. Yes. Well, teen sex, death, taxes, teens talking about death, sex, and, and taxes. Stories. <laughs> That's yeah, exactly. It. That's it. Teens love taxes. Teens love taxes. I mean, hashtag uh, teens love taxes. Austin, there was, like so, a, there was an interesting point that you made when we were discussing this, and as you were like formulating your idea for 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 your piece, was like, and how much like story and characters imbue motivation for players right. to interact with right. systems. And like the one that that you mentioned that stuck with me um, was like like Halo, right? Like Halo right. is like like defining characteristic other than having like really good like left trigger right trigger shooting is right. well, like the way yeah, it revolutionized yeah. like artificial intelligence or our interactions yes. with artificial intelligence like um and the reason that's interesting is because of the context story and motivations for you to interact right. with that art. you can you can appreciate that artificial intelligence you know, separate when you go back and think about the the individual. Oh wow, narrative. that gunfight! Oh wow, the elites moved around exactly. on an interesting way, and and they flanked me. That was the first time I've ever felt like that. And I have a million stories of like you know me playing like Halo uh, Combat Evolved like solo on Legendary when I had yeah. hours to commit to that, and like, like I don't remember those stories now, but I had a million stories that were built out of like those amazing combat encounters I had. But like you know, if you were to bro- break that down into wireframes and little things running around, like while it, it, it is technically the same thing. I don't have the emotional motivation to want to interact with the systems. And so, like, right. story uh, imbues systems with purpose for the player. And I think that's, like, that's also a, like, separate important, like, reason for storytelling is for you to totally. appreciate systems. Yeah. So that ends up being the thing that I – the case that I make is, like, instead of asking what – what uh why are stories a problem for games i flip it and say like hey what problems does including a story solve and for players it's like oh right master chief i get to be master chief that's who i am i'm not a gray box with a gun i'm not even just a space marine which i don't think the ghost would have a problem with like a loose theme like dropping on i'm master chief and cortana is going rampant and i need to get to the end of this thing and i need to stop the flood and like it papers over a lot of the 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 bits that like 
maybe would seem like rough edges. It it makes you say like, oh well, of course I can only hold two guns, even though I'm the master. This is the, <laughs> the way it works. This is the way it works. That's how it is. This is the world. I'm so bought into this world. And then it also does something for designers, which is like it can encourage a certain style of design or like a fictional uh, a fictional world or and a story. encouraging role play in certain ways as well. It, totally. Yeah. Uh, and then the big one that I only talk about briefly is like. Yo, if you're a publisher, it's way easier to sell Master Chief. <laughs> way easier than like a soldier, right? Or then Or like wireframe arm totally, gun. But even even That's just, all it just is. Wireframe arm gun shoots right. other wireframes. But even look at like, like Medal of Honor when they tried to do that re-release where it was all about um what was their freight like tier one awkwardness oh, or like, like, oh. Right, like guy with a huge beard. Like that's them yeah. looking for story so that they can sell their fucking game. Because otherwise, it's just another game where you shoot brown folk, and like they needed to differentiate a little bit, just a little bit. And so, <laughs> like, oh, we need characters. We need a story about a guy who's going to pray at a. That was actually Call of Duty, wasn't it? Was was press square to yes. To, but you know those things exist oh, yeah. for uh, for lots of reasons because people want to tell stories because companies know that there's an audience who will buy stories and who are used used to consuming media that has narrative in it. Um, obviously, there are players. And I think Rob, you and I can speak to that as people who play strategy games and you as someone who follows esports. We're like, no, what I'm really into is this mechanical interaction and competition and like who wins and who loses stuff. But like. All of this is to say, I wanted to come in here today and be like, that fucking Ian, Ian Bogost guy, he played Edith Finch. He can tell that stories are the best things in the world. Fuck off. Ah. But I can't do that because I like, yeah, I like Edith Finch. I'm like way more mild on it than I wanted okay, to Okay, but I, I want to like say, like, it, it's a, like, it tells like an interesting, touching, like, two, like in and out two hours. Like, I also don't want like you to, like, I don't think I was, touched. I don't want the takeaway for some people to be that, like, well, because it didn't make you sit down and think, no. rethink your week, that, like, it's, it's not interesting I beat that game and read those reviews and did not have the experience those people had. So, like, I, I, which is what, by what I mean is, like, you will probably like this game more than me, most people. Most people will probably like this game more than me, but it did underscore this strange, like, tension for me, which is, I want to be the rah-rah story guy. I want to be the person who is like, and I am the person. Do keep telling stories in games. We're going to get better at it. We're going to continue to find new tools. We're going to continue to find new grammars. We're going to tell incredible stories that do make me retreat into myself. But Edith Finch wasn't that for me, which, which – and the difference between me and Bogost isn't that we – that I think all stories and games are good. It's that I think they kind of suck too but want us to fucking build a lot – like go build stuff. Do better. Like don't – Instead of giving up and saying, right. oh, whatever. This isn't the best thing. So give up on it. Be like, no. Figure out ways figure to out, actually right. make like, things better. I want the people Work who, for it. I want someone right now to, who's playing Edith Finch who walks away and goes like, that was fucking incredible. To then go make their own thing that will then – that thing is the thing that's going to get me. Yes. You know? So, yes. so the, I have uh, I have one thing. Oh, yeah. go ahead. Rob, go ahead. No, no, no. no. I was going to say, I, I just want to read a, a brief part of this piece, sure. and I want to tell you why I take umbrage with it. Okay. Are you ready? Let's go. All right. He's talking about Gone Home. He's talking about uh, basically what it did. Uh, feats, but relative ones. Writing about Gone Home upon its release, I called it the video game equivalent of young adult fiction. Hardly anything to be ashamed of, but maybe nothing to praise either. If the ultimate bar for meaning in games is set oh. at teen fair, then perhaps they will remain stuck in a perpetual adolescence even if they escape the stereotypical dude bro's basement. Other paths are possible, and perhaps the most promising ones will bypass rather than resolve games' uh, youthful indiscretions. I have, uh, I got very mad when I, wrote, uh, when I read this piece. Uh, 
again, agreeing that most games don't do linear story all mm-hmm. that well. I can think of a few, but I also yeah. hate the argument of like, oh, we hold up the same six games and say, well, like, the story in this was great. Like, it, we don't have to do that. We don't have to go to reductive arguments like that. It's fine that there are some examples that, that prove, you know, the, the exceptions that prove the rule kind of mm-hmm. thing. That's okay. People are still figuring these things out. I'm okay with that process. What I take serious issue with is just the kind of vague whiff of sexism and, like, and like I know what's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of, like, looking down on young adult fiction. Right. I just the, the have a fiction. problem with. Well, then the thing young is, adult fiction is... It, I'll, I'll just I'll briefly, please. briefly finish this thought. But young adult fiction has become very much sort of code for stories about girls right. and women. And that, that and, women like, and that young like, women read. Right. And the things that young women are concerned about are, are stupid and crappy and childish. Which, like this idea, this attitude. And it's also that. an attitude that doesn't reflect the reality, which is that 55% of people who buy young adult fiction are adults. Right. Uh, like, that is the truth. That is the, the market for works. young adult fiction <laughs> is mostly adults, actually. And not young, <laughs> that's, you know the, that's the longer version of the, of the, of the genre. Yeah, young adult fiction... Open parentheses, mostly for adults. Mostly, mostly for adults. Uh, and and the the thing for me that bugs me, and I, I throw away line in the piece about this, which is like most people. There, yes, I bet that if Ian Bogost was at a dinner with someone who wrote young adult fiction, they would have a great conversation. Sure, he's someone who comes out of a literature program. Like he's that's what his his PhD is in is in comparative literature. Like I I bet he'd have an okay time there. I think he probably has it. I think in his heart of hearts, he probably understands what that field is like. But the people who read him, and I say mm-hmm. the people meaning me ten years ago, will pay, will not get that whole bit of a little extra nuance. What they'll hear is. Fuck young adult fiction. Yes. I aspire to something greater. I'm going to tell the first true great American Moby video game Dick novel. Moby Dick is the greatest novel ever written. I don't know why exactly. you try doing anything else. And, yeah, and that, like, that sort attitude. of, like, I don't know. I, I do my best to be deeply aware of our role as a platform that reaches lots of people and encourage us to, to go hard on things that are worth going hard on and like really – hit them when it's time to like be angry about it. I was pissed about We Are Chicago this year and I think it's right to be pissed about that game. I also don't think the entire field of young adult fiction is the is as easy of a uh, of a of a metaphor for why this other thing is bad as he thinks it is. Right. Um well, and there's and also a there's ahead. also a tendency in um like I'm guilty of this as any, much as anyone else because I think like you know, as a as a publication, like we are on the side of like video games should tell better stories. We like storytelling in video games right. in all different forms. Right. There is also a tendency. Um, Gone Home was not a victim; it benefited from this. Um, Edith Finch will benefit from this. There is a tendency to hyperbolize and overly praise and uh, turn a critical eye away from games that attempt to engage in more what feels like a more adult, mature style of storytelling that is beyond just Space Marine things because we have not encountered it before. So even as critics, we don't have the language to even critique it because we're blinded by the fact that this game tried to do this, right? So Gone Home is a game that is universally praised. And I liked it a lot too. But the fact that, like, you know... It's it's it tells a story about about like the discovery of you know a, a young queer woman's sexuality and it's a first person mature storytelling like means most people don't want to critique that game with a ten foot pole and so like part of what's useful about what 
but Ghost does here is like, yes, he pokes the hornet's nest, but I think it forced, like, by us writing those stories, by us having this conversation, by us doing this podcast, like, it shores up, like, designers, critics' own arguments for, like, why is this worthwhile? Like, what aren't these things doing right? Like, what could they be doing better? Because I think we have a tendency to go, to give games like this credit for trying, and because we want, we so desperately want more of this, um, and not necessarily always being as critical as as we should, um, just because it's more of aspirational um, than it is necessarily a direct application. Well, it's tough because I think one of the things that we all talked about before we launched Waypoint was we took as a founding principle that games are art and that games are are you know a, a deeply. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com important medium for our generation and by that we meant that we didn't want to have those fights anymore those fights are boring if someone pitches me a story about like oh well this game proves that video games are art now and they deserve the protections of art like boring done no we're not having that fight if you have that fight you've already lost you're already framing this as a thing you could lose like no we're we are having the the second step which is like okay like what works about about edith finch what works about virginia and now that we have edith finch now that we have virginia now that we have the, the firewatch now that we have this whole you know era of walking simulator games hopefully we're getting into the place where we can take scalpels to these things can move past our our excitement over the fact that they are telling stories that are not just space marine stories and begin to figure out what makes them tick and like what really works for us and what doesn't like for me uh, of the set of games that we've talked about that are in this kind of broad environmental storytelling thing like gone home is still my favorite of that set yeah Um, same uh but like a weird thing is like i think i like virginia a game that i walked away from Way more ambivalent than than uh, I think I walked away from Edith Finch in terms of pure craft. Mm-hmm. Like I think Edith Finch is way above it in terms of like, oh, wow, the mechanics here are really communicating something. I think I like Virginia more and I'm happy to have that experience yeah. so I can kind of try to unpack what happened there. Well, Virginia um, just like it bites off a lot. And like that's yeah. that's the – like, you know, I, I, again, I, I think a lot of people are going to like Edith Finch. I liked Edith Finch a lot. But also in a lot of ways it's like – it's a little safer, and that's not meant to be uh, uh, a pejorative as much as, like, Virginia just bites off a lot narratively. And I think it <laughs> fucks it up in the end. But, like, I, I, I'm so glad that we're at a point where we're getting a, a diversity of approaches so that you have some games that say, okay, we're just going to go for it. And maybe it's a miss, but they went for it in a way that that's exciting because we're getting enough of these types of games that there's a space for games to try and be that ambitious and and maybe misstep but at least they they want to step in one direction right stories video games stories young adult fiction (laughs) (sighs) (sighs) it's it is i think a really it's a worthwhile debate to have i think not debate. This isn't a debate. It's a worthwhile uh, well, discussion to have. The thing that fucking sucks is it's like the eighth time this debate has happened. I know. I've been in it twice. I meant on our podcast, but yes. I know. No, no. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're not. 
Yeah. I think we're all basically of the same mind, even if all of our tastes are a little different. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's a it's a it's a weird thing to see it crop up again. It is disheartening sometimes. I know, like, everyone in this podcast has been in this game a long time from various angles, whether from pure journalism, from freelance review stuff, from academia. And these debates just keep happening. And I think part of what drives them forward is that every person in them tends to have a different understanding of what the status quo is. So, like, Rob... You are in the niche of the niche of the niche in terms of <laughs> war games for the mainstream. I could expect someone who lives your situation to feel like no one – everyone just cares about these like – about dragons. Everyone just cares <laughs> about sci-fi shit. Everyone just cares about about linear stories and space marines and teen angst and all of that goes over there. And I'm interested in resource counters. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever feel like that? And could you ever imagine writing that screed that is like the status quo doesn't have a place for what I think is good? Years ago, I can imagine myself writing that screed. Uh, years ago... I think it would have been really easy for me when I first like figured out how European Universalis three worked, and I just got like super like high and cranked up on that. <laughs> like I could easily imagine myself sort of writing that like, "Look at you, silly people, with your <laughs> narratives." That I, and then you know, sort of praising <laughs> to the sky, you know, the, these these world simulations, these these mechanics. Uh, now I play a lot more. I've seen that version of game a million times too. Mm. But the other thing is the more I play, the more I like, and the more the borders between those experiences break down. Like so the example I used a minute ago about the uh you know, the being the general on the on the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, on the battlefield mm-hmm. of Gettysburg. Um that is driven by systems. At the same time, there was a scenario designer sort of scripting right. that. Like, it was a semi-authored moment, but the the effect, the thing I'm still doing in that game is exploring a space. Now, it's not a traditional narrative space. I'm not, like, opening cupboards and, like, you know, it's not necessarily environmental storytelling in the way that uh, Bogost is, is, is sort of framing it. But at the same time, I just don't see the hard dichotomy anymore right. like, I just don't like for me I see there is a continuity between me playing that war game or me like trying to figure out what to do on the eve of World War II and Hearts of Iron and then what I'm doing in a game like Gone Home like right. I can see there is a commonality to that experience expressed very differently but I just I just don't completely get the value of the distinction that's I think that's what, like because if you like you can get so reductive about this and how games function and how they express meaning and and tell you stories about their worlds that eventually you end up I think in a really boring place which is well why make anything why why you know why why isn't this why isn't the history book why isn't this why isn't this a documentary. <laughs> And I don't find that the most exciting place to go because, for me, the reason you do it is in that act of exploration. It gives you the ability to step into worlds and stories that, in a way that you couldn't otherwise. And Imperfect though they may be. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah, I 
you know, I, I think that the 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 thing that I keep coming back to in all of this is being a realist about what people do and like we for whatever ridiculous reason have all decided to be at a video game website um, and to play video games. That is the thing that pulls us even when they're not necessarily the best. I played Edith Finch last night instead of watching Legion and I hear Legion is dope. It's pretty you know good. what I mean? Like yeah. uh, I, I, I played uh, uh, Edith Finch last night instead of you know re-listening to the Kendrick Lamar album or listening to the Mary J. Blige album that dropped. I'm going to listen to those things. I'm going to find time for those. But when I had like this little two and a half hour chunk of time, I was like, mm, I want to figure out what this thing is. And like that's just how people are. And I always would just rather start at that point and then figure out why we do the things we do yes. and how to do them better than – to try to make hard cuts. I'm also not writing for The Atlantic. I'm also not writing for an audience that doesn't understand what games, the state of play for That's, games. That is also part of what makes it frustrating. Yeah. Sure. Like it, want... it is that I, w- I would love for somebody who is a realist, but also an advocate for trying, for, right. for making things better, for actually going on a limb creatively and mm. doing something interesting, even if you do fail. I, I would rather that advocate, who also has the same like intellectual rigor as somebody right. like Ian Bogus, I would rather that person be writing that for that audience, and if, that, if that makes sense. And that, so the thing that it, that's tricky there is like, does that feel like cheerleading then? I, I well, that's why I said like, I, also a realist, fine. like somebody right. who who can say like, hey, you know what? This a lot of this really does suck right. in a lot of ways. Right. And, but then and maybe like, who also says <laughs> who doesn't necessarily make the young adult fiction comparison? Right. And just who's not just fiction, dumping on something? The fiction yeah. comparison, which is. Most books also suck. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Most Thank you. stories yes. are bad. Like it's they're not really hard to do any yeah. of this right in any medium. Totally. Like, and that's fine. That most stuff sucks. Like that doesn't right. mean the world is going to come to an end. Right. It, it's it's definitely a process of finding creative, intelligent people who can work in whatever medium it is that they choose to make their work in, and that is worth something. That is that is valuable. And I'd rather see the value in that, and I'd rather see somebody who advocates for changing and trying than just eh, throw the table. Throw it, you know just throw I mean? it out. That's that's my take. Anyway. Rob, can I make a hard pivot? <laughs> Please do. There's no. I'm gonna do. You know, I, I was gonna try to find a segue here, but then I realized, like, you know, who doesn't do fucking segues? Vikings. They kick the door down. They demand. <laughs> no they segues. They demand what they are. I want to raid. I want to raid right now. No segue, Erickson. I'm here to burn this place down and get stories about Vikings. Tell me about Tell me about yeah, Expeditions right. Vikings. I don't understand why a game about Viking expeditions even has to tell a story, to be honest. <laughs> uh, no. Fucking, so, Expeditions Vikings is a follow-up to Expeditions Conquistador, a very cool tactics RPG that I did not play, but Troy Goodfellow, my colleague <laughs> on Three Moves Ahead, said, you definitely need to play this. We need to do a show on that. And I was like, we definitely will. <laughs> anyway, point is, here's Expeditions Vikings. Uh-huh. Uh, and so far, it's pretty cool. My play session this morning was cut short by a hard crash, uh, which was not great. Oh, very dramatic mm, point. Bad. But the, the cool thing that's going on here is that it is very much uh, like... It is a squad tactics RPG, uh, a little bit XCOM, a little bit Baldur's Gate. Okay. Uh, but it's about you as a young Viking thane taking over from your disastrously unsuccessful father. Uh, and right from the first, like it's about 
shoring up these uh, clan relationships within the family and with neighboring clans and trying to figure out, like, what does leadership mean to you, right? Are you going to sort of fit the classic mold of I'm I'm the Thane, I'm the leader because I can kick all your asses, basically? Are you going to make the case for yourself that you should be Thane because you're the only person here with the strategic vision, like, necessary to sort of lead the lead the clan back to glory? Uh, and so it's it, it's kind of a cool thing where in between, like even before you get to the battles, there are a lot of there are a lot of systems uh, in place <laughs> to get to, to drive these relationships to to open up options that might not be open to you if you were just sort of uh, your your standard Viking berserker. Uh, character, so it was really it was really neat. Right in the opening, like the first thing you do basically is work the room uh, at your father's funeral feast wow. and decide nice. how you're going to deal with an early challenge to your reign uh, from some disaffected uh, uh, clansmen, and then you have to deal with a far more significant threat, which is uh, your your uncle is going to be making a play for for the title and control of the clan, and he's going to kick your ass. And so how are you going to how are you going to get out of this, right? Are you going how to How did you get out of it? Uh so I maybe was oh. less honorable than I could have been. <laughs> oh. Uh, oh. Okay, so here's the thing. At the very before you do anything, you can you create your character and a lot of the systems a lot of this game is going to be driven by combat, but there's also a lot of like conversation and uh adventuring that happens outside of combat so okay, so there's like a story on top of all of the systems, yeah like scripted okay linear okay yeah a very very traditional r p g uh in some ways, and I went all in on perception and sense, and perception in this okay. one is basically. It makes you good with ranged weapons and also lets you like spot traps. And sense, I think, is was very much about like diplomacy and like talking to people and being empathetic. Okay. I didn't really do much with endurance. I might have like every time I wanted a few more points in an attribute, I was like, maybe I could be a little bit less, a little less uh, yeah. Yeah, a little little, little less enduring. And my description right. kept getting like less impressive. Where it was like <laughs> you are you are a young and strong Viking, keen and ready to step up into his father's role. By the end, it was like you're very smart, wise Viking. <laughs> Everyone says you're you're really smart. Uh your health's mm. a little frail. You're a little <laughs> concerned, but you'll be fine. You're you got you enough. You know here, the son. inside of a you know the inside of a Viking cabin better than anybody. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know all of the great stories, all of the all of the uh, all the songs, what is it? all the he songs. Know, that's your big song person. You know them all. I mean, all your all your great Viking stories are about the guy who like was too sick to leave a ship. That was, that's why he was always on the ship, right? Like you, you sail the True. seas and you stay, stay on the on boat. The ship. Right. Uh, anyway, so basically, what I did was I spent the night before uh, laying a bunch of traps and having my uncle. Lightly poisoned, uh, oh, so that he'd be he'd be sick little. for the brawl, and uh, and then I laid a trap, and right when I was about to sort of deliver the coup de gras, and I think win the fight, the game hard crashed desktop. So oh. gonna have to do it all again. But I really did enjoy the combination of pretty decent tactics game, but also a lot of like Dark Ages politics. Uh, right. it's, there's a little bit of like Crusader Kings, a little bit of like the Last Kingdom in this game that 
in a way that I'm really, really digging. Awesome. Nice. That sounds that sounds okay. If I had time for Vikings, I might check that out. I definitely I think, think it's, it's a. Horrible. I think it's an Austin game. I think it might actually be a Danielle game too. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's right. there's a lot of there's a lot of cool characters uh, in this one, including the fact that you're like your biggest badass friend is. Uh, God, what's her name? Like this one named uh, Naya. Or something like that. She's uh, she's actually pounding on the on the building right now. <laughs> oh, that's I think Naya, is. Yeah. Naya is definitely she's getting strong. It's okay. how she like works out. Yeah. That sounds really rad. I I'm into that. Yeah, yeah. she's awesome. she's the character who's constantly like, no, let me fight that guy for you. And I was like, nice. I don't know if that looks good. And she's like, it'll look great. I'll kick that guy's ass. <laughs> Trust. I'll make it look great, honey. Is, yeah, yeah. Boom. I got this. Yeah. Speaking of Danielle-style games, yeah. Oh, yeah. Danielle played played games this week. I played a game that wasn't even Breath of the Wild, even though I played more Breath of the Wild, and it is called Pinstripe. So the thing that's really cool about Pinstripe, let me let okay. me let me paint you. You're a, a mobster. Let me paint you. In no a pinstripe suit. It's so much weirder than that. Oh, okay. You are an ex priest named Ted. You have this cute little daughter named Bo. It's a uh-huh. 2D game. It's sort of an adventure platformer. It's like the cave. It's a little bit like Night in the Woods, but a little more puzzly okay. than something like Night in the Woods. But okay. you're definitely running and jumping on things. Like it's not like you're not like inventory management, you know, it's juggling like a platformer. that. It's kind of like a platformer, but it's very much like an adventure game. Okay. You're gonna get a thing, you. and that'll kind of bring you to the next screen. That's mm-hmm. sort of, that sort of thing. Wait, uh, wait, you're an ex priest with a daughter. Yeah, maybe you're maybe you're not a priest. You're some kind. You're wearing. There's a cross. Okay. Maybe you're like I, guess a, I don't know what denomination. Maybe you're like he's... a vicar. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. You're yeah, something. You're some clergyman, totally. uh, and an evil, terrifying guy named Mister Pinstripe kidnaps your daughter, <gasps> brings her to hell, <gasps> and you have to go through hell, frozen hell mostly. But I think there might be some fiery parts. I'm not quite done with it. Okay. I'm, I played like 90 minutes or so, which I think is most of the game. It's okay. probably going to be like a four-hour game or so. I guess that's not most, but uh, a good you, chunk. You, yeah, you got played a good, I yeah. played through a good chunk of hell yesterday. Mm-hmm. Let me just say that. Uh, it's just really well designed. It's really beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's really, really beautiful. Describe what this looks like a little bit because... It's very sort of painterly and I would call it, um, yeah, I guess we already kind of used the Tim Burton thing, but it it is very like early, like 90s Tim Burton, like the soft edges, the sort of, that sort of very expressive animation. Some gory here. Very, very gory. Yeah. Edward Gory. (laughs) Edward Gory. Edward Gory. Yeah. It's... A lot of good sounds this week. Ugh. You gotta get a good one in there. Uh, the thing that's really cool about this game, not only is it is it very well designed, the puzzle solving is pretty light, but it always feels clever, uh, which is a very, very difficult bar uh, to, to sort of hit, I think. Uh, you know, to make puzzles that like are pretty breezy, but you're never just like, oh, whatever, I'm just gonna right. click on the thing, right. and the thing will happen. You actually have to think a little bit. But like, just enough so that you get like a little Yeah, that little, that little, little like, spark. I'm so smart. You know, that little <laughs> that little feeling. Take which this, I love. Mr. Pinstripe, you asshole. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Asshole. Mr. Asshole. That's his real name. Asshole. Asshole McPinstripe. Full, wow. Full name. Uh, the cool, one that. of the coolest things about this game is that it was actually designed by one person. And oh, awesome. Drawn, music composed by, designed by, I'm sure somebody else did something, but it's it's largely the work sure. of one person. And typically when something is made by one person, I, I love games that are very personal and made by, you know, like a tiny team or like a one person you know, yeah. development studio. I love like Kitty Horror Show. I love... Right. You know, creators like that. There's an even often, though they suck looming over the set. No, <laughs> not even a little. It's just more that I will, 
be willing to forgive things like a lack of polish or like mm-hmm. a very very limited scope and something like that because it it, it makes logical sense. One, One person, person did right. all of the things here. It's okay if it's not as a, a yeah a Horizon Zero Dawn kind of situation. Uh, but this is incredibly polished and really really beautiful and and very fully like it feels like a very full coherent full game not mm-hmm. just a sort of vignette. Uh, which impressed me quite a bit. Awesome. So. I, uh, people should check that out. So briefly, I just want to do a thing, which is like, the yep. games we talked about today, yes. so far. What Remains of Edith Finch? Expeditions Vikings. Pinstripe. Gone Home. Gone, gone Home. <laughs> briefly. You, that's the one with the cupboards. If you were like, what was that game they talked about with cabinets? You opened up cabinets, gone home. You drank a cabinet. The game with a, a cabinet, bunch of highly yeah. realistic X-Files VHS tapes. True. Correct. Correct. <laughs> Oh, that game's that game's pretty good. All right, let's uh, let's take a quick dip in the old question bucket. Yeah. Breezy this week, but if you have a question, you can send it to the question bucket. You can put it in. Send it to gamingadvice.com. Use the subject question. Uh, we are going to try to empty out this question bucket at some point. Not, not. Mm, I we should clean it out a little bit. There's some it, good questions. There's in a there good that are timeless, third of it that needs to kind of about a third of yeah. it, maybe a, maybe a, a half of it. We'll get rid of and filter in a bunch of new stuff. Yeah. We also, as always, read new questions on Monday. We dip into the question bucket on Friday. We read new stuff on the on Mondays. But uh, since it's Friday, it's, I'm going to need a, a number from one till 120. Who's got one? Rob, I can see you. Yeah, he looks very pensive. Looking for a number. Oh, 104. Oh, definitely yeah. 104. Look at that. That's a great number. That's a pretty good number, yeah. I hope. We'll find out. All right. We answered this question already. Good. All right, because good. it's about Thanksgiving. It's about how to survive Thanksgiving. Yep. Good. That means there's a new 104. And I'm gonna slide new 104. Um, okay. All right, yeah, this is interesting. Uh, I'm glad you're here for this, Rob. So this comes in from uh, Garrick in, in Vancouver. I think that's how you pronounce this name, G-U-E-R-R-I-C. Yeah. Uh, hey, Wayfarers. I heard you were looking for questions about politics and games. So while not specifically political, I wanted to ask you about the interaction between American games media and non-American games uh, and non-American games. I want to specifically ask about Western games from outside of the U.S. Mm-hmm. since they seem more likely to be discussed without reference to their country of origin. For instance, Japanese or Korean games. Like, you know, we play Persona 5 and we go, oh, it's a Japanese game. We even call it like a JRPG. Right, off, but sometimes we're times, like, yeah. oh, yeah, it's from Europe. Shrug. Um, <laughs> America. Uh, us. That's how we do. While many prominent Anglophone video game media outlets are run and staffed by Americans, many of the Western games that garner a lot of discussion in those outlets are made outside of the U.S. by people living in either other Anglophone countries like Canada and the U.K. uh, uh, or in non-Anglophone countries like Germany, Poland, France, Sweden, or Ukraine. These countries all have different social histories and political cultures, and it seems fair to think that this might influence the content and nature of the games that they create. On the flip side, many of these developers know that the U.S. is the largest single Western consumer of video games and hub of games media, and as such, they work to tailor their games to American audiences, or at least what they think or imagine what American audiences might be. But even in doing so, they are inextricably uh, creating from their position within their own country, social and political cultures. This leads me to my pair of questions. How do you as American journalists and critics approach discussing games that have been developed by people who live outside the political and cultural landscape of the U.S.? And what are your thoughts on the ways that non-American games developers choose to approach American audiences or not and the impact that these decisions have both on games and gaming media? All the best, Garrick from Vancouver. Good deep question in that question bucket right there. Very deep question in the question bucket. Exhale. 
deep breaths. <sighs> well, I first thing I'll say is just it is important, I think, to consider that context, of course. Yeah. You know, we, we do a little bit. I feel like, you know, we talk about Witcher 3. We're always talking about like, oh, you know, this game is from Polish developer, you know, CD Projekt Red, that, that kind of thing. And it, it, it can't be ignored. Absolutely. Like, it's important to consider where anybody, any creator is coming from, uh, not just physically, obviously, but sure. what but all that goes into. I, I do think, and and this might be a gross generalization, and and boy, things good things always follow statements like I was just saying, a gross generalization. Oh, proceed, Rob. Please yeah. proceed. This ain't yeah. Uh, so anyway, I think ah. <laughs> games like The Witcher. So years and years ago, I see it, I see it less now, but like in the mid two thousands, it definitely seemed like there was this really distinctive. Eastern European contingent of games that were making mm-hmm. games that felt way more grounded in other cultural contexts and other uh, like other referent objects that that they were sort of playing off of. The Witcher is an obvious example because it's sort of playing into a novel series that I don't think a lot of people had encountered, but it also gave us games like Stalker, uh, games like Metro, Metro uh, which are yeah. really about like the like post Soviet. Uh, order or or lack thereof, and to me, it felt like a lot of those games were specific in a way that a lot of like games from Western Europe did not feel specific. They they felt a little more tailored to a broader uh, Anglophone world in in a way that those the, the a lot of the games that I enjoyed in the mid two thousands from Eastern Europe did not, and that might just be because. A lot of the more specific games from Western Europe didn't really find much traction. Like oh, it, you weren't like a big fan of like the Froggy Wears uh, <laughs> Sherlock Holmes games. That wasn't your big <laughs> Western Europe. But mm, mm. but those are those are those are interesting games, aren't they? Uh, yeah, they are. And well, they're interesting. They're interesting too. Sorry, not Froggy Wears. Just just Frog Wears. <laughs> just Froggies. Is that a Romanian studio? I think so. Maybe I, I don't know enough, but but that's that's interesting. Like <laughs> you know, Ukrainian it's... actually, actually Ukrainian apparently. Okay, okay so, so so here we are so again. Supplies. Um, wonder wonder why you got Western European out of out of that studio name I, that you out of you, out of you being frogwares. I don't mm. I don't know what mm. shitty thing yeah. did I do today? <laughs> Added to the fucking list. <laughs> no, so like, but but I don't know. Like, does does anyone sort of like? Have that feeling that a lot of a lot of games that are being made from major studios in the UK, in, in France, in Germany, aren't necessarily as specific to country They're owned origin. by American companies. A lot well, of times, no, it's part well, of it. Ubisoft is the big one that is right. Not, well, that's right? what I'm thinking. And then I think, of. but the things like with Ubisoft, I think you look at Rayman, you look you look at Raving Rabbids, and I actually think that that is a very like French cartoon aesthetic and yeah. sense of humor, and so I think that's one example where I did see that. But and that, then and that's also, why that's what makes the Assassin's Creed games so fascinating because, yes. like, especially yes. Assassin's Creed Three, which I wish was a better game than it actually ended up being. But it was like here's a French here's a French company doing like a take on the American <laughs> Revolution, which is fascinating <laughs> in and of itself. Um, I, I don't like that, that. That stuff is is interesting if you like know of the historical. A sort of background of these game developers, and like part of part of the reason I like the Metro games is because they are specific, right? Like that's I, I I like the fact that I feel alien playing them because my own perspective has no grounding in a lot of sure. like the social and political constructs that are probably deeply familiar to 
you know, folks from that that region. Like, you know, they can pick up on things that I don't. But the, being an alien to that, those cultures and those those structures is part of why I find those games fascinating. Totally. I you know, I think that there might be a um, a line that you could. We were actually just in a pitch meeting where we were having a similar conversation. Someone had pitched us a story about a region that they saw having a sort of renaissance of game developers, but they didn't really in that pitch. And I'm not trying to drag the person who pitched this at, at all. When um, we get pitches like this about like, oh, the X, the scene of game developers in X country or region or city or whatever, a lot. Uh, but they didn't necessarily pitch what the through line was of like. Oh, I, the the games that came out of this place all have this thing in common, or or there is some overlap in design uh, ethos or, right. or convention or something. But I do now that I'm like looking at who came from where and what different countries produced games in the last decade. I, I can see certain sorts of like you look at the games that came out of Germany, for instance, in in the last decade. Um, one. One of the biggest ones is like the farm simulator, and like in general, that sort of like um, very technical, very detail oriented, detail oriented, infrastructural. Yeah, interested in the mechanics of mundane life from a country that has a much different relationship to infrastructure and logistics uh, than what we have in America. There might be something there, but even like the stuff that comes out of uh, like the the like deep silvers of the world, yeah, which are like. The X series of space simulators, um, <laughs> the the Gothic series of games, like they're, the J, they're, not JRPGs, the kind of computer RPGs that are really fiddly and really like they have lots of inventory management and they have lots of like a bunch of different stat systems and many of them come out of German only tabletop uh, role playing games. Like, like we, Daedalic or something like right, that too, totally. like the adventure games that come from yeah, that region. Yeah, you're right. Totally. Yeah. There's that whole adventure game, like the kind of German adventure game yeah. uh, uh, heritage there. I, I think a lot of it just didn't translate to us or wasn't marketed to us in that way. When you go back and look at some of the marketing around games like Stalker and Metro uh, and, and, and The Witcher, there's a lot of like, this comes from a place. <laughs> this comes from a very specific heritage that is a little exoticized for you uh, as an American. That you're a little bit like, ooh, you're getting the. This is what the people from that place really feel, and like this reflects their specific heritage. And that was also true. It happens to be true that people in Eastern Europe made those games, and that's rad. And like, I'm thrilled that they got a wider audience. But there is like definitely a bit of that, like in the marketing around those games that, and in the kind of conversations at shows and stuff like that that are that is about trying to appeal to the Western audience, not by playing up that stuff. It's more offering something different. Right, you know? exactly. Oh, oh you're, you're a little sick of this? Well, let me show you this yeah. this other perspective that was shown in this game. Whereas you don't get, no one came to me with Two Worlds 2 and was like, this is a, a clear representation of continental European fantasy. <laughs> You know, like sure. this has continental yeah. fantasy. Mm. Oh, I see. I see. Like a continental breakfast. It's very oh. similar. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's a tough thing. And then, and then, I guess as a journalist, it's tough because I I am very interested in developers who come from places that we don't traditionally think about development. And also, I'm interested in playing games that I like, and that <laughs> yeah. can sometimes be. This comes back to that question that we've all talked about of like, okay, is it the fact that it's one developer? Does that do we go a little lighter on this? Do we have a better time with it because we know that there's only one person behind it? If this is doing something new and unique, Patrick, like Gone Home felt like it was doing right. for us, do we do we ease up on the break? And it's not even a conscious decision. It's not like – to be clear, when we when I do that, when I f- look back and feel like, 
okay, well, maybe I went easy on Romance of the Three Kingdoms uh, 12. <laughs> it was just because I hadn't played a Romance of the Three Kingdoms game in a while. Right. We sometimes make those things and later can look back at it yeah. and be like, mm, okay, yeah. Mm. Uh, or when I said, like, oh, Grow Home was an incredible game. Like, part of it was just like, wow, wow, Ubisoft. Yeah. You <laughs> oh, that game was so good. Stop. Stop that. That game's great. That. that game's great. I loved that game. I haven't gone back to it. I'm afraid. What if I go back to it and I'm like, eh, it was fine. It's still good. Is it? Have you gone back? Have well, you? yeah, I did because I played Grow Home 2. And Grow Home 2 didn't work, but Grow Home is still a small, experimental, really great game. We'll see. Okay. Somebody in chat brought up Beat Cop, uh, which... Yeah, that that just came out recently and is... Unless I'm thinking of a different game than Beat Cop. Maybe I, maybe I am. There have been a lot of... There are a lot of uh, police simulations that have come out recently. Yeah. Uh, often about American-style police um, that are made from developers who are not from America. Yeah. I've missed this movement uh, entirely. What, like... Um, so, like, they're, like yeah, foreign so, police quests? That sounds yeah, interesting. So Beat, Cop, Beat Cop is very specifically yeah. very police quest. It's um, about 80s cop sh- like American 80s cop shows. You know that what? is like yeah. the most, mm. that's what they say of, they're evoking There were not the a lot of actual ethnic slurs in 80s American cop shows, though. And there sure. are beat cops. Sure, so I got you. There was like a little that's bit of That's how they're like, advertising it. Yeah, I know how they're advertising yeah. it. Yeah, I'm just saying, gotcha. That doesn't sound, that doesn't Did you sound play promising. much beat cop? No, I've just watched some of okay, it. Okay, gotcha. Um, but like, that is definitely an interesting thing, too, for me, is like when a developer from outside of the States wants to appeal to, to, to that audience and then develops a game with that in mind and like tries to have American references um, that does happen with with international all around the world yeah. and sometimes it's just because they like it like I think about Deadly Premonition as being a love letter to a certain type of American media sure and like yeah that's okay that's a vision of America sure <laughs> like, yeah. you know it is mm-hmm. uh, any other thoughts on this as someone who covers you know games from, from Europe Rob what question shall we fly to next? <laughs> I'm just gonna keep channeling. Cut My internet. Oh, oh, you cut out. He, yeah, cut he's out. like, what, what? He's like, let's take the next question. That was his. That's yeah. what he said. That's so fair. there's fair. Fair. 150 of these things. We gotta, we gotta do right by our listeners. Well, it, yeah, well it's 150 of these, and also it's 1:40 p.m. and I have True. to eat lunch between now and my 2 p.m. meeting. Yeah, it's, we've gone over an hour. We should probably we've gone, we've gone. This has been a long one. So I feel like we we covered a lot of good ground. We covered a lot of ground you know? in general. It's hot in here. It is a little hot. The spring has stuck has spring snuck into sprung, summer in, you know? into this room. It's going to be 80 today. I hope whoever that is drilling into the into the ground doesn't strike summer. Too it was Nadra or Na- Neha. Nadra. Neha. I don't Sorry. know what the Viking's name is. I got. I probably got it wrong. Look, Listen, some of my best friends are Vikings. I, you know, I, I agree. <laughs> some of your best friends. Okay. I understand. That's going to do it for us this week. I have been Austin Walker, your host and MC of Waypoint Radio. You can find me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. Rob, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter.com at Rob Zachney. Oh. Patrick, what about you? You can find me at Patrick Klepik. Danielle Riendo. Danielle R.I. on Twitter. Com. You can find everything we do at waypoint.vice.com, on Twitter at twitter.com slash waypoint, on Facebook at facebook.com slash waypointvice. We did a stream the other day with weird Twitter's own Leon, Leon. Uh, L-E-Y-A-W-N. Uh, you might Leon. know him as the, the 
Twitter person who makes dope music. Can we see those? And also is, is a, a cute little fat Kinda. bird yeah, on yeah, Twitter. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and we debuted a song of his over on our Facebook, so go check that out. We're also going to do a, a full debut of his new album of, of music. Slash, it's like an OST for a fictional like SNES game. Uh, yeah, a fictional game about birds. Featuring the characters behind us if yeah. you're watching the stream. Those uh, on Sunday, I think. So, so look for that. Uh, what else do we have going on? I, I think that we might do a stream later. We might if be we doing have time. some streaming today. Uh, we did some yeah. streams over the week. Those will be up at youtube.com slash waypointvice and at waypoint.vice.com. Just click on click on the videos. There's a little bar in the you top say, left. You say click on. It's called an, a hamburger. Did you know that? The thing in the top left of a of a website that is like three bars. Like you click on it. Oh, and like a because menu it's expands. bun, bun, and. And yeah, meat. red meat in the middle, or not meat, whatever. For me, protein. it would be a veggie. I don't know, right? Exactly. <laughs> veggie burger. We could be a veggie you know? burger. And if yeah. it's nine things, if it's like a dot, if it's nine dots, that's called a waffle. That's called a waffle because it looks like the the nooks of a waffle. Oh, that's I like see. behind the scenes. Right, you pull back the curtain. A little oh bit yeah, curtain is all the way back now. That's going to do it for us this week. Thanks to Bowen for letting us use his song, Miss You, off the EP Pale Machine. You can find out more about that at waypoint.zone slash boen. Thanks to Tim Barnes, Tim Barnes 451 on Twitter. Tim Barnes. Thanks to Dylan Coburn, who doesn't use Twitter because he's Dylan. too cool for Twitter. He's smiling right now. <laughs> he's, his finger is hovering over the button to take us to the end card, which means it's time for me to ask Danielle one thing. What is it that we say at the end of the week? Be good or be good at it. Peace. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.